Everyone, welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller of The Bulwark. We are recording on Ash Wednesday. You're the showing me up with my mother with those ashes on your forehead. Sorry, Mom. I should have scraped something on there. That was my, that was, that's actually the whole, re- it's in Leviticus. The reason you go to receive ashes is to show up your friends. It says right there, Got and it. Moab said to Sheab, make sure the left hand can see what the right hand is doing. Oh, I don't want to turn this into a religious I thought that thing. was a masturbation line. I don't know. It's, it's been a while since I've been in grammar school. Uh, last night, special election in Long Island, New York 3rd. It was another one where everybody was chomping at the bit. So that we could finally hit the panic button on Joe Biden. We were going to look, there was going to be a, another, a Democratic getting wiped out on immigration so we could hit the eject button on Joe Biden. Oh, what's it? we we just won again. Oh, we. Yeah, another we. One. So much on. winning. JVL's just on the team. <laughs> so much winning. No, I, I, I mean, from the Democratic side, right? You're a Democrat. You're like, oh, we won again. This is, you know, I pulled up, I pulled up the 2016 clip of Donald Trump doing his so much winning. And this whole riff is like, we're gonna win on economics. We're gonna win on on military. He says that, we're gonna win on military. (laughs) We're gonna do so much winning. You're gonna say to me, Mr. Trump, please, we're just kind of bored and sick and tired of all the winning. Maybe let us lose once in a while. That's what Joe Biden is. In 38 special elections this year, Democrats are outperforming the partisan lean by plus 10 according to our friends at 538. And last night, Tom Susie beat uh, Swazi. the MAGA. Swazi. Swazi. Yeah. Swazi. Beat you, the MAGA You obviously don't watch person. cable news. CNN had like a 19-person panel last night analyzing this, so you would have had, you would have had the pronunciation. <laughs> what? By plus eight. Yeah, just plus eight. Another, <laughs> just another sick and tired of winning. Which yeah. is a 16-point swing. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. Santos won by eight. Maybe even a little bit more. So this is back to like 2020. This is, you know, back, back to what it looked like when Biden was at the top of the ticket. Sorry, uh, Tim, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me what you guys think. Well, I, I mean, I you can overanalyze all these things. And so I, I think there are two main things that I would take away are one, which is something that we hit every time here, but it's important to keep hitting, which is that the new Dem coalition is very good for specials. So I don't know how much it tells us about general elections yet, because the most excited people to vote are the people that are highly engaged and don't want the country to descend into autocracy. And so they're turning out in these special elections. And so that happened again. And I don't know, maybe Sarah, you can add on to some of the ramifications of that. I will also say this, Swazi I think there's some limits to what you can read from messaging strategy. I think a lot of this is national narrative. New York is such an expensive district. Like there, are, there were advertisements, as you said, JVL, you saw some during Jeopardy. So people were able to, to see the messaging. But Swazi leaned in on immigration. And, and I think it's a lesson for Biden now that this, this bill has collapsed that, you know, you can't just wish it away. And Liz Smith, who is our friend of the pod, wrote that like in 2022 in the Santos race, the Democrats kind of ignored crime, which was the you know hot button du jour, du jour then, and and just tried to make it about abortion and just didn't talk about the crime in New York City. And that didn't work. And here we are this time, 2024, Swazi really leaned into immigration, the migrants that were coming to the city, how he had a plan to address it, wanted to address it, is not part of the far left. And, and I think that's something that Biden's going to have to do to um, looking ahead to this year. So those are my two main takeaways. 
But Tim, what is Biden going to say? Like, I I did this really hardline immigration bill and the Republicans refused to pass it? He's going to have some oh, right. executive. He's going to have that's, to do some executive orders, say. too. And, and that's, yeah, that and a couple of actions. He's going to have to do both of those two things. Sarah, what do you think? So let me just add one thing to what Tim was saying, because this is really true. And it's one of the reasons you don't want to overinterpret the specials versus the national elections. Number one, like a lot of it comes from the political realignment that's been going on, right? So these red dog Democrats, which are like the never Trumpers uh, that are now voting Democrats, they tend to be college educated suburban voters, a little bit older, and they show up to vote all the time and they're highly engaged. And so one of the things that Democrats picked up in the swap where they lost a lot more sort of non-college educated white voters, but they picked up these college educated suburban voters, that is a good swap for them in special elections. It is less good for them in national elections that include more low info voters, which is why you shouldn't overinterpret this in terms of what it means for Joe Biden in the national election coming up in 2024. That said, I was struck by the polling and how close it was. Like eight points is not a small margin of victory. And thank you, Sebastian. Santos won it by 7.6 points in 2022. So yeah, you're looking at almost a 16-point swing. I've seen a lot of people remarking on the fact that there was a storm, um, but it doesn't look like turnout among Republicans was down. It looks like plenty of Republicans turned out. It's just that they voted for the Democrat, right? These sort of right-leaning independents, these are the people. And I just wonder, and you know, just all caveats about overinterpreting, but I'm interested in what you guys think. Every time there's one of these special elections, it feels like there is a bit of a primal scream against Trump and like the idea that this was like, there were all kinds of reasons why this was a weird election. Like Santos was super high profile and a crazy yeah. candidate. So like some of this is backlash against Santos. So I don't want to over. Long Island that. is also not particularly representative of what other, other types of people that are in other swing districts. That's right. All of those things. And like there, right, like I said, there was a snowstorm, although like there didn't like a Republican pack pay to have them plow in Republican districts to make sure Republicans could get out. Okay. Doesn't it feel, though, like every like the margins are just so big in some of these specials, like the Wisconsin Supreme Court race? It's not just that the Democrat won in Wisconsin. It's that the margin was very large. And so you've got to wonder, and I have been wondering if, A, how good and representative the polling is. Like, I've, I've been wondering for a while if, remember in 2016, the polling was all off because nobody could seem to find the Trump voters. And there were all these conversations around Boy, do they hide from pollsters? Do they not want to tell? Do they not want to admit it? They seem to be perfectly fine now finding Trump voters. And I'm not sure they're not oversampling them to some degree uh, because they don't seem to be capturing in any of these special elections just how large the margins are against them, including in 2022. Same thing. What do you what do you think? Yeah, I think it's hard to get to gauge turnout in these things, right? Like No, it is. You know, so it's so gauging likely voters, that's a lot of you're making a judgment call, you know, you're asking people. Yeah. Some people do the thing where it's like rate on a scale from one to ten, how likely you're to vote. And some do the very likely, somewhat then you gotta judge. Are the somewhat likely people? Do we include them? Do we, you know what I mean? And so there's a lot mm -hmm. of math nerds that figure this stuff out. But I, I think that that is a challenge in these elections. And whereas in the Trump race, the challenge was there was non-response, there was, you know, the the the, the 
the makeup of the electorate changed so much in 2016 that I, they, they were modeling to a wrong electorate, right? So I, I think that part all, all of that is part of the problem. I don't know. The the thing, the caution light on this for me, and, and we were talking about this on Slack, was that our friends at Split Ticket, that analysis they did of the Nate Cohen poll, right? Which is the, the polls, the New York Times polls show Biden plus four with people who've ever voted in a midterm or special election and Trump plus 10 with people that only vote for in in general elections. So that was like a flashing, flashing red light. And and again, that now you you can't, you can overinterpret that, but I think that is the major caution when you look at this democratic win streak. I think it might've been Trump plus 10 among people who have either never voted or only voted in in presidential elections. And again, like, so you're saying, okay, so they've never voted before, but maybe they'll vote this time. Maybe they won't. And and again, who knows, right? It is certainly true that you can expect Republicans to do better in a general than than they, and you can expect the down-ballot Republicans to really outperform, right? Because the down-ballot Republicans are going to get all of those people who are non-traditional Trump voters who are brought in just for the first time to do that. Plus, they'll get a fair number of red dogs who are going to vote at the Biden at the top of the ticket and then, you know, check the box for the Republican who's their their guy or their gal in their district. So, yes, I could see. I just know that if your name is Mike Lawler, who's the normie Republican in the district over, I was watching the CNN coverage and he was on talking about how Maisie Phillips was just absolutely going to win this. No question. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I think he's in trouble. He's in, he is, can, he's can I though yeah. make a point? This is a great point to bring up. You know, sometimes I feel like like I want we want this, right? So I, I'm always like, am I pushing for what my priors want, or or am I accurately assessing the political landscape? And I think in this case, it's both. It's like yeah. all of these Republican political consultants kept saying like, you have to act like Maisie Phillip Pillup did, or however you say her name, um, and you have to act like Mike Lawler does, which is take these votes on Mayorkas, you know, to like swallow all the Trump stuff. No, don't criti- only softly criticize him. And, and all that has led to is loss after loss after loss after retirement to these people <laughs> in these districts. And so I could not somebody try. I feel like I've been saying the same thing for nine years. You don't have to be Tim. OK, you don't have to troll Donald Trump at every possible opportunity and, and ask when the last time he saw his dick was and like, you know, call him a rapist and all that. But could we try? Could, should, shouldn't the Mike Lawless of the world be looking at that special election last night and being like, man, maybe I shouldn't have voted to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. Yeah. Maybe I should take a few opportunities to distance myself from the party. And, and maybe there's a middle ground here where you can run, you know, a more. A, a campaign that has a little bit more integrity and dignity and truth to it, you know, that without sacrificing, you know, I mean, obviously you're going to, are you going to really lose? Are those, at the end of the day, are those MAGA people really not going to vote for you? You know, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot more room to distance yourself from MAGA if you're a candidate like Lawler. And, and for some reason, he's taking this Republican consultant conventional wisdom that you got us you know, ride with Trump, which has like just led every led them to disaster now for five straight elections. Well, Swazi's pitch was uh, I work with people on both sides of the aisle to get things done, which is also the Biden pitch. And, you know, I I listened to uh, your focus group with Joe Perticone, our buddy, this and there were a lot of this was this was all about Congress. And a lot of Trump people were talking about, you know, we need people who are going to get stuff done. 
Now, I thought to myself, you know, there's a revealed preference versus a voiced preference aspect to this. But they are voicing the preference that they want something done, right? There, there's one woman who's like, you know, why aren't why aren't they doing anything about health care costs? And I was like, I there's a president who has done something about health care costs right now. He passed a whole bunch of legislation about this. This is why insulin prices have been capped. Uh, and I wonder if maybe these people are in a weird way, not not a lot of them, but maybe two percent of them reachable on stuff like that. Swazi did okay by saying, look, I get stuff done. I'm so glad you brought up the focus group pod with Joe Pertico. It has sort of a boring title because it's about Congress, but I want you people to go listen to this one because it's super interesting. And the reason that it's super interesting is actually, JVL, I don't even think it's the revealed preference versus stated preference. I think they state both preferences. The craziest thing about these Voters, these were Trump voters who followed Congress, like they knew who their congressperson was, and they tended to be, we were screening for districts where they had kind of a MAGA performative person. Yeah, so it's like Andy Biggs's district and MTG's district and yeah, Gates's district. But what was so interesting is people would say in one breath, why can't they get anything done? And then in the other breath, they would say, I do not want them to compromise. We want them to fight, right? And so it is a detached, they have detached the mechanism for getting things done, which is compromise and negotiation from like the outcome, which is that things get done, right? Like they they want the outcome, but they will not use them. They, they eschew the mechanism to get there. And they also said, like, they also be derisive about the idea that it's a circus. Like they would be like, oh, you know, it's just such a mess. And they're always yelling at each other. And that's so stupid. But also my favorite things that they've done are impeach Biden. You know, so like on yeah. one hand, right, they, they they condemn the performative, but also demand the performative. And I think I don't disagree with Tim's point about Lawler, but I do wonder if it's just getting super impossible for candidates like Lawler. Like there's a reason that Mike Gallagher is tapping out, right, is that they don't know how to walk this line. You punch Trump in the nose. they're not trying. That's true. They're no, not trying. Like, <laughs> that's true. No, there's no way to, for us to game this because nobody's really done it except for like Liz or somebody. Uh, the axiom for our friend Michael Wood uh, that I wrote about. It's like eventually you have to choose. You either you know go full MTG or full Liz or full Newsmax yeah. or full Liz was his line. But And maybe that's right. Maybe that's true that you end up there. But there is not really seem to be anybody that fits in the Gallagher kind of mold that, that tries to do the you – know, remember when Trump first went in and they said, we're going to call balls and strikes? Yeah. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see somebody call some strikes – you know, and see how that turns out. Okay, <laughs> maybe that, maybe, maybe they turn into Liz eventually. You know, maybe that leads them to death. But I, I you know, it would be interesting to see somebody give it a shot because if if nobody gives it a shot here in the next two years, we're going to end up with an entire Congress full of, you know, uh, Lauren Boberts and Matt Gaetzes, which might be where we're headed anyway. Which is where we're headed. You know, I, I tweeted something because I was just thinking about how because I was watching our, you know, Abigail Spanberger. And I'm watching Alyssa Slotkin's race. You know, she's running for Senate. There's this class, this very impressive class that also included some squad folks. Um, And the squad folks got all the attention. There was like this really incredible 2018 class of legislators on the Dem side that were incredibly moderate, that won in swingy districts. And it was a lot of women who were like CIA analysts and helicopter pilots. Yeah, it's Mikey Sherrill. It's Alyssa Slotkin. It's Abigail Spanberger. And, and there's more. There's a bunch of them. And there's 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 dudes, too. I always say the women's names because they're the ones that impress me the most. But and now, you know, you got Josh Shapiro. When the Biden Trump's smoke clears eventually, you're going to look around and you're going to see a Republican Party 
that has been just absolutely brain drained, right? And the Mike Gallagher's are gone. The Everybody that you think of who's like a serious person, they are gone, gone, but even like a Kevin McCarthy, like they're out. And on the Democratic side, they've been growing this crop of congressional leaders who are now running for Senate, running for governor, like Abigail's family is running for governor of Virginia. She's very likely to be the next governor of Virginia, which means that they're going to have this enormous class to join the Jared Polises and the Warnocks who are already governors, Whitmer, you know, that are governors in swing states um, that are normie, pragmatic, and the Republicans are going to be just like filled and replete with psychopaths. Will that matter, though? And I, I'm not trying to be like a jerk about this, but I, I mean it very seriously. Will it matter? Because the Republican voters have decided like they voted with their feet. They don't want pragmatic. They don't want the Mike Gallagher's of the world. No, but Democrats do. Right, but no, Democrats, Democrats do. do. But ultimately, at the end of the day, when it comes to elections, like we're so gerrymandered and like maybe it just won't matter. I think it matters in the sense of uh, it's it's a rebuttal to the snapback people, right? But it's like the people that the Democrats have gained that turned out to vote for Tom Swasey that, you know, in the past had voted for Republicans. You know, when the smoke clears, there's some of them that are like, hey, you know, I'm still kind of I've got this little Republican, this little elephant in the back of my brain. I'm like, well, this we'll just see, you know, and then I'll, I'll go back. And it's kind of like there won't be anybody left for them to go back to. It will solidify the realignment. I think it will matter in that sense. It won't matter in the sense of like the Republican Party is dead and the earth is salted. And no, you know what I mean? It's not that. It's just that it, I think it's going to solidify the realignment of the Trump years. I also think, though, it's going to solidify the I think it's going to take a long time. Right. We're like it's both a chess game and like turning the Titanic. But so much of the voter sentiment is like fumes of the past parties. And so it's going to take a while. But at some point, people are going to look up and say, oh, the new crop of Democrats are pretty normal. They are not socialists. They're not, you know, crazy people. Whereas the Republicans, there's nobody else to point to anymore to be like, but this person's still normal. Like Mitt Romney's still there. No, he's not. Like they're all gone and you've got a pretty normal Democratic Party overall. This is why I think it's very important that people get rid of Gavin Newsom as soon as possible and start elevating these other people. Well, just one quick sentence on this. Uh, and it was uh, Mark Wayne Mullen, the senator from Oklahoma, said last night, pointed out that none of the Republican senators under 55 voted for the aid package. And I thought I thought it was an interesting kind of self-own kind of. But like his point was like, this is where the party's moving. And my point's like, yeah, that's where the party's moving. That's and so, you know, yes. it's, even, it's true in the Senate. Yeah. All right. Tim, word from our sponsor? Yes, Fume. Have you guys ever tried to break a bad habit and felt like you're climbing Mount Everest in flip-flops? Trust me, I've been there too. I've had a few bad habits. But here's a breath of fresh air, fume. It's not about giving up, it's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device. It does just that. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, fume uses delicious flavors. It's a habit you're free to enjoy, and it makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial. I got it right here. It's designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing and anxiety while breaking your habit. Don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm a little bit of a fidgeter myself on the podcast. Somebody called me out the other day because I was fidgeting with my daughter's 
princess toy. And um, it was noticed when I was like waving my hands on the screen. And so, you know, now I've got another little uh, device to play with when I'm here. And Fume has a bunch of different flavors for you. So start off your year right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash level tryfume, F-U-M, dot com slash level, and getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of this show 10% off when they use the code level to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Sarah, we had a show last week without you, and it was great. Not as great as as it would have been with you. But uh, I feel like we we have to give the people your response to the to the big stuff which is the the Robert Hur report about Joe Biden, the well-meaning elderly gentleman, and then uh, and then to Bill Crystal's bomb on uh, how got to get got to get Biden out of there. <laughs> can I just say before we get Sarah's advice, before we get to Sarah, can I just say people yeah. sometimes like you're starting a media, you have a media company and it's like we have critics so like you guys are grifters. You're just giving your people what you want. And here we go. And Charlie <laughs> retires. And it's like, OK. And it's like Bill Crystal is going to take over the newsletter. And I said this to him. I was like, he could have picked any topic in the world for his first newsletter. And his first newsletter is, hey, they're Biden lovers. I think he, I want to kick them off stage and we're going to replace them <laughs> with an imaginary person. And everybody in the comments is like, what? What is happening? And so. So, you know, if we're, if we're running a uh, a comfort food slash new grifting news out, out, outfit, maybe would have, you know, the editor, the publisher maybe might have told Bill to, to start on a different note. You know, maybe something a little less controversial. But no, that's not how we do it here. Definitely not. And also, but here's the thing is uh, reading that, uh, I mean, I talk to Bill about this all the time. I know what he thinks. I express my belief in his wrongness on a regular basis <laughs> on this. And so you know, speaking of media companies, lots of them, everybody sits around and agrees on everything. He and I have fought about this like with elevated voices on more than one occasion, <laughs> uh, just out of just uh, strategic difference. Here's the thing. Did you guys talk about this? I, I mean, I listened to the, while well, I was falling asleep, you guys didn't talk about this because this came out after, right? The Whether or not we think Biden should step aside. Uh, right. I talked about it on Monday with Bill and AB and JV, JVL talked about it with AB. Maybe we didn't do it on last week's It's hard to know. Okay. Every day is a lifetime here. It I, feels I did like it in we the talked triad. about it. <laughs> don't, I, I don't expect, I'm glad that you listened to the next level while you were gone, but I don't expect you to have to have read any of the, the newsletters right, that the I wrote every single no, day. No, I did. I read, I read your, your, you didn't so much push back as like pick a different topic <laughs> that, that was pro-Biden. <laughs> you didn't take it on sort of straight on, which is fine. It was nice not to, you know, go nuclear back on the first day. But here's the thing that I just, if Biden were to step aside, the flaw, I, this is, uh, remember when we were on stage with Carvel? Carvel also subscribes to this theory yeah. of, you know, Joe Biden steps aside, boom, we get the, the centrist Democrat ticket of our dreams. <laughs> Mitch Landrieu's <laughs> just there. The Whitmer Shapiro ticket emerges. They're not currently running states as governors. Uh, here's what happens if Joe Biden steps aside. There are two possibilities and only two. One, his current vice president, Kamala Harris, becomes the nominee and she is less popular and defeated uh, like, if you even assume that Joe Biden's going to get defeated, she's going to, whatever Joe Biden's going to do, she's going to do five points worse. Oh, well, maybe Sorry. two points. Two points. I don't know about five. Okay. okay. Oh. 
whatever. Okay. Hypothetical. Uh, <laughs> so there's hypothetical one. Either two or five yeah. points worse than Biden. What's the, what's the second door, Sarah? Is it a pony? The second door is a man named Gavin Newsom who has been waiting for this moment his whole life. And what he thinks is this is why he debated DeSantis. Uh, you can't even remember he, his name anymore, can you? I know. They, they're gone <laughs> so fast. Uh, Ron DeSantis. I, I, so sorry. I, Thanks for playing. Like, can I give you I door just, number three? Can I give you door number three for your answer? Because there is one other option. 1968 on the convention floor in Chicago where there are Gaza protesters like tackling Gavin Newsom while he comes on stage <laughs> and then Jamal Bowman goes up and says, I want, you know, and then, he, you know, so we're on to ballot nine. That's that's the, that's door number three. That's so that's also out there. Yeah, I almost spit out my teeth. Uh, this is the, the gap between Biden stepping down and like we get fantasy ticket of our dreams that definitely beats Trump. Guys. Guys, no. Like, and I this idea of like Biden is indeed old. He is he is only 10 years younger than the number of indictments Donald Trump has. Okay. That is that is a lot of years. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say he's only 10 years younger than the wheel. I was like, I wonder what was I wonder what was invented 91 years ago. No. 81, 81, 91's the number of indictments. Uh so it, like he he is and listen and it would have been great if they had done this particular scenario a year ago nine months ago but the idea that like Gretchen Whitmer just launches an intact presidential campaign um, also by the way you know what this this idea that everybody's going to run against the first female African American like. They're wrong. Cory Booker one time said, uh, he was asked why he, uh, something about running against Kamala Harris. And he was like, Do you, like all the women in my life would disown me. Like, <laughs> the, the, like the, everybody knows like you, you are risking the reason that it's Biden. Like there are reasons. There are reasons that it's Biden. Just incumbency. It is, it is the fact that he has hundred percent name identification. It's that his record's actually pretty good. Is he too old? He is. But like, they're both old. And then like one has 91 indictments and is also a psychopath and uh, is also mismanaged the pandemic last time. Like, sorry, you have to be able to make that case. And I think it is so weird the way all of, and this is not about Bill, this is a different genre of person, but the number of sort of anti-anti types who spend all their time talking about Biden and Biden being too old and Democrats walking off a cliff are just ignoring the fact that over on the Republican side, Donald Trump has an actual primary opponent who's a totally normal Republican, <laughs> totally normal. And they're choosing that they're not spending any time trying to talk people into voting for Nikki Haley or out of voting for Donald Trump. No, no, no. Everybody's lecturing the Democrats on the incumbent president. And and I and the thing is, like, I'm, I'm open to that plenty. But I think there are plenty other. I, I just this idea that it's just like Biden steps aside, things happen. Boom. Great outcome is uh, but this something is, I disagree with vociferously. Sarah, this is this is how the engine of our politics works these days. Everybody works from the assumption that only Democrats have agency. And only Democratic politicians can make hard choices that might make their base upset. Only Democratic voters can be asked to make decisions which might not benefit them or might not serve their own prior, you know, policy preferences or goals. And on the Republican side, like the base 
just has to do, it has to vote for Trump. Donald Trump has to be the way he is. He's a force of nature, right? And and you can't, you can't expect Republicans to vote against him because he's been indicted 91 times. And in fact, everybody should have known that him being indicted would have made those voters just like him more. It's really weird, isn't it? Isn't it tantamount to saying that 40% of the country is insane or dangerous or both? Yeah. And look, I'm not going to blame the media, but I do want to just say also on this sort of asymmetry, this is just judging from my own life. Okay. I was, I was down and out uh, for a few days. I was kind of, kind of off the, off the grid. And it happened to be the day this, her report came out. And when it did, my phone blew up with reporters being like, well, what do your focus groups say about this? Like, you know, what, and, and I'm like, and I, I, I couldn't respond. I was just like, I was indisposed, but I was like in my head going, this her report is not teaching people that Joe Biden is old. Like no one has missed. These voters are not like, oh, you don't say. It's in the report that he's elderly and uh, and not always. That's nothing people can't see with their own eyes. Uh, and so I didn't think that that was like people who, I, I watched Frank Luntz's out there. This is a disaster for Joe Biden. And I was like, no, his age is his most significant liability. Somebody was raising his most significant liability. And like, that's just what's going to happen through this race. And okay. But the point was, I got so many calls about it. Also, while I was indisposed, I, Donald Trump said that uh, if NATO, which is, by the way, not the way NATO works, but NATO should pay its bills or they can go, Russia can go ahead and give them. He would encourage Russia. Encourage them. Do you know how many times my phone rang about that? Zero. And do you know why? Because... People know the question, and this is to your point, JBL, the question of, but but won't Republican voters, won't it matter to them that Donald Trump is saying invade Europe? Russia can invade Europe and re- America won't do anything about it. And the answer is, no, of course those voters don't care. It's a fait accompli. Everybody just like says, oh no, Republican voters don't care that much about this. And so they don't ask. And it's like Joe Biden lives in a world where everybody's like, oh, somebody acknowledged that he's old. We must talk about this a lot. Versus Trump said the most insane thing with real geostrategic implications, like implications for NATO, for the world order. And everyone's like, yawn. That's my rant. That's a good one. Hard to argue. I like it. Quick fun fact from Sebastian. Uh, Stereo Records and the first prototype drive-in theater are both 10 years older than Joe Biden. So that's a little fun fact Yeah, well, there you you go. There were no hi-fis back when he was born. They're the same age as Donald Trump's indictments. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Better framing. Thank you, message message guru. On the primary that is still happening, because Republicans, again, they are choosing to do this. In fact, they could stop choosing to do it right now. Right now. Right now they could stop. Uh, Donald Trump decided this weekend to make fun of Nikki Haley's husband, who is deployed. With the National Guard, right? Or is it Djibouti? Is the National Guard of the Reserves or what? Born of Africa, Djibouti. Djibouti. Anyway, that's cool. It's kind of like I like soldiers who weren't captured or something. And Suckers and losers. Sure. Like, this is fine. He's he's doing so much winning. He's even doing winning of the military. And uh, I don't know what you guys thought about this. Does this, is, is Nikki Haley going to wind up doing a Ted Cruz where she gets super indignant on her husband's behalf? And then, you know, we're going to get the picture of her making the phone call. Is that is that where yes. we're headed? Or is she being given enough so that she could say no? I'm not going to do it, right? And not look like she's being a petulant uh, person, but look like she's doing a 
just said, you know, like, no, I'm not going to be attacked like this and then go and help the guy who we all know is dangerous. Sarah? Well, we just, I was arguing about this with my team earlier. I'm at 65-35. She endorses. I think there's a 35% chance she doesn't endorse. What do you, I, what do you guys put it at? Jim, do you put 3. it at 100%? I'd put 3.5. Yeah, I'd say 10% less or 10% of your... 0.5. Is what I what I better. Uh, I mean, also we do have a new Winthrop poll out today showing Trump at plus thirty six in South Carolina. So he's now ahead more in South Carolina than he was before Nikki's tremendous second place victory in New Hampshire. That's great. I don't quite know what to do with that. Also, um, you guys have thoughts on that? I mean, it's really. <laughs> It's just very hard to to understand what's going on with all of this. Here's the, can I just talk about the dark thing about it before we get into the Nikki Haley analysis? Yeah, go like, ahead. And this is in uh, over on uh, on, on the, uh, the Borg Pond. I went at it with Dean Phillips today, which people should check out if they haven't yet. And, oh, and your show's was, great, by the way. Thank you. This was a fundamental disagreement that me and Dean had, uh, where he is of the view that Republicans should, that Democrats and, and the media and everybody should be nicer and more considerate to MAGA voters, and that's how mm-hmm. that you win and should be more thoughtful. And I'm like, okay, I'm happy with being nice to MAGA voters, but like, we also have to accept reality. And like, there is and when you talk about revealed preference, like not everybody, not every single MAGA voter. And I'm not saying that they're cartoon villains. I'm saying that they have revealed their prevalence of we like it when Donald Trump insults people's wives and husbands. We mm-hmm. like it when he is the alpha male, the Twitter alpha male that puts down somebody that is serving the country, even though he, you know, lied and pretended like he had bone spurs and couldn't go serve the country. They like it when he calls somebody's wife ugly. They like it. Like there's another, there is another group of people, MAGA voters, that don't like it that much and vote for him anyway. That's a separate moral and ethical question. We can have Pete Wayner or somebody on to, to dig through. But there is a big Plurality, majority, huge, big percentage of the Republican base that likes this. And, and so here we are nine years later, and it's the meet, and Nikki Haley is doing the same thing that we did on the Jeb campaign when, when Donald Trump made fun of Kalimba. She's her playbook is exactly the same. I'm outraged. How dare you that, you know, you don't know any. This is, this is un-American. Right. And, and she should do that. That's the natural response. But it's like if you're thinking that that response is going to win people over rather than push them into Donald Trump's arms, you do not understand what the Republican voters have revealed that they want. And they want meanness, cruelty and asshole, a piece of shit. That's what they want. So that's where we're at on this. I don't like how Nikki responds to that then I think is another question, a psychological question about her and about her career aspirations and all that. But I think it's important to just say that clearly because even now, like people aren't saying that on CNN right now while we're doing media criticism. Like it's like people are still after all this time reluctant to say that, right? Like, like you still get the pundit round tables where it's like, might this hurt Donald Trump? Might the Nikki Haley thing hurt him? And they don't really think that it's, he's going to lose because of it. But like, could it hurt him on the margins? Could it help her get some momentum? And it's like, no, they like this. Could it maybe hurt him with 0.5% of voters in Georgia, you know, of military veterans in Georgia who are swing voters? God willing. You know, God willing. And that's he, an open question. But even that's an open question. When you talked with Dean, did you did you ask him about Merrick Garland? So Merrick Garland, as you mentioned with uh, with James Carville and the Tuesday show, Merrick Garland has really bent over backwards to be as unbelievably fair and impartial as possible. He waited for forever 
to appoint a special counsel. Uh, in, in fact, only did so once Donald Trump declared that he was that he was running for president. And uh, I mean, has, has created a level of insulation on the federal Trump prosecutions that that is the definition of fairness. I don't get the sense that MAGA's are saying, well, look, you know, this uh, we, we, of course, defend Donald Trump and we think he's innocent. But we do recognize that Merrick Garland has done us a solid and, uh, you know, we, we appreciate his integrity. I don't get the sense that that's a thing that happens ever. No, I haven't seen it on Fox. I've been, tr- I've been trying to watch a little more Fox. And so I've, I can't say that I watched 24 hours. So maybe somebody said it on there, but I, I haven't heard it yet. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that there's a lot of credit to be to be gained. There was an interesting question. I think this is a different question than kind of doing the outrage thing about this. And um, somebody sent this to me the other day. I know that we're supposed to be the norms crowd here. You know, and it's like it's supposed to be good that Merrick Garland did the right thing, appointed a special prosecutor. It was a Republican special prosecutor. But like at some point, if this is only one side that's doing this, like – should Merrick Garland have had a special prosecutor? Should Joe Biden have sat down with this guy? Donald Trump didn't sit down with with Mueller. Like, aren't if if the threat is so great from the right, like, like from Donald Trump, like should we be giving them rope to follow these norms? I know that the answer is yes, we should. But uh, man, isn't that something worth revisit, like thinking about and discussing? Sarah. No, I I don't think so. I mean, I I don't think you can, you don't want to live in a world, right, where everybody just says that the norms, but not even just the norms, but like the the bedrock stuff, like when you are subpoenaed and asked to sit down with a special prosecutor, you do it. I agree, like Trump didn't do it, but that is part of why Trump is an unfit. And I don't want to see Biden or Democrats mimicking what Republicans are doing, because then there's nothing left, right? Like the goal is to defeat Republicans for behaving this way and reestablish the norms, reestablish the the sense that you live by these laws. I, I don't know. I just I knew you were gonna say that. I put up. it on a platter for you to be the to be yeah. the conscience of the podcast. But I it's, um, it's at some point it's like, why did Merrick Garland and Joe Biden give them this? Like, you know, given the yes, given the, the election. The the weird thing to me on this one is this was right after October 7th that he sat down. Uh, and it did seem like five hours. Uh, I've, I don't know if you ever sat and talked for five hours. Uh, Sorry, bro. I'm, yeah, I'm, I got a call with the King of Jordan. Uh, Can yeah, we do I this in 90 minutes? Was... No, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with Sarah I, on this. You got to hold the norms. I... Also, I, I think in part they felt like, they were they their whole deal was like we're doing everything right right like we have to establish a contrast between what yeah. Trump did which is he took the documents and then when they asked for them back said no and like did and you know and then and we can't martyr him else. right that yeah. was the other thing so, we can't martyr him and so Biden knows man I've screwed up here like one of the biggest things because he did that was a problem this is like down in Georgia what's her name having the uh, having the relationship with Fonnie the guy Wallace, who's the prosecutor yeah. Fonnie Willis. You know, Biden's got the documents and is all over the place. He's showing them to his uh, biographers. He shouldn't have done that. And it's it's extra bad in this moment. And so, like, what did he have to do? He needed to. It was his obligation to clean it up and he to did. say, like, yeah, and, and he was telling the truth. And that's why they didn't bring any charges. I will say, of course, it was dirty pool to have this guy then, like, knock Joe Biden around on his cognitive abilities. I'll just say again, when people are like, oh, this is devastating, I'm like, 
I don't know. I don't know that pointing out the single, like Joe Biden's biggest liability that everyone knows is his biggest liability and that voters see themselves is like the end of the world. Changer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a game continuer. Yeah. I had some advice for him. I don't know. You probably didn't read it, Sarah, but uh, some some advice for the administration on how to handle this. I read it. Hang a lantern on it. It was great advice. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Tim, happy end of Mardi Gras. Yeah, Mardi Gras what is, is over. It, do you wish somebody an end of Mardi Gras? What, what is, I, I don't even understand. I don't understand anything don't about Mardi uh, Gras. Tyler is, I, I didn't get to do the full Mardi Gras like Tyler did because we're, I'm just out here churning out this content for all of our uh, listeners who I love. Tyler's pretty down today. He's got the Sunday scare, the post Mardi Gras scaries, the Ash Wednesday scaries. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been kind of slowly landing the plane for a little while now. But I did kind of, I did have an observation. That somebody pointed mm. out to me that I thought was worth discussing on the kicking around on this podcast. You remember how you had the uh, uh, the skeleton index for how the economy yeah. was looking last Halloween? That's People right. had these massive skeletons. I got to tell you, having experienced Mardi Gras, we are living in a time of decadence and abundance in this country, <laughs> and I have to just reject the notion that 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 people are turning to Trump because they're living in hard times. Because we're here in Louisiana. Okay. Obviously, some of the people in Mardi Gras are, are, are visitors from from blue blue country, but there there are plenty of Donald Trump voters that are uh, that are at the various Mardi Gras festivities. Some of them are a little bit gayer and and more blue tinged than others. Um, but uh, let me tell you, I I I'd come and kind of partied with my friends. But I'd never done like the going to all the parades. These parades. Like the amount of stuff that they throw out, it is like it's like eight Christmases in once. Downstairs in my house right now, we have an entire room full of just crap that Toulouse has accumulated: swords and dolls and balls and footballs and beads and beads and beads and whistles and giant toothbrushes and this thing that's behind me and this plunger that I got right here now and like it's just stuff, and they just throw it to you. And, and, it, and these parades go on for days. Like, I'd only been to the one Mardi Gras parade. Th- these parades go on for days, eight, nine days. Like, if you took somebody in a time machine from the Great Depression and landed them at the Tux Parade, which is one of the pre-Mardi Gras parades, not, you know, the prime time, and, and you sat them down there, like, they would think that you had taken them to a, to a future uh, utopia beyond their wildest imaginations. Like, the amount of free stuff stuff that just gets thrown out there. And so people are the costumes, people are in these costumes that cost hundreds upon hundreds of dollars. More it goes, it goes, it keeps going. To ride on these floats, you've got to pay five thousand dollars to ride on these floats. If there was one float, there were 10 million. I mean, I, I, there are parades for 12 days, and everybody that gets to ride is paying thousands of dollars. And then it ends last night, and this is when I decided I had to discuss it on the podcast, at the Rex, the final, the final parade is the Rex parade. And then it ends at a ball, a Rex ball, which they air on local television here. And this ball, the women at this ball are wearing 50, 60, $80,000 dresses. People that are the people that are walking in it's like and next is the great great grandson of of Zebediah Jones Smith who was the king of Rex in 1882 and he's right now a junior at Ole Miss studying digital marketing and that you know James walks through and it's like 
we I, the amount of just sheer abundance at this at this ball, and I got to tell you, just judging, just being a judger and somebody who knows politics and watches Sarah's focus groups, if Donald Trump didn't have a majority at that ball, I would eat my hat. I'll tell you this. Um, I, maybe it wasn't a ninety percent, but I bet he had a majority at this ball. It was very uptown. Uh, it was very white. It was very old Louisiana, and. Um, I'm just wondering if you like Donald Trump and, and want to make some arguments for nationalism or anti or you, you think that we should be an anti-immigrant country now. OK, but I, it's after Mardi Gras, I have a new Mardi Gras index, which is I will not accept that this country is in such economic peril that we need oh, Donald Trump. People who I will not eat, accept people it. who have to eat like vegetarians now, Tim, because they can't afford meat and people who can't even can't even drive 20 miles to their Meemaw because of the price of gas under Joe Biden's America. It's like the Great Depression. It is like, as, as people have told Sarah week in and week out, the worst it has ever been in America. The Superdome was filled for Endemian. Convention halls, you can't get a hotel room. It's like, where are these people coming from? It's not all the, it's not all the 1%. Let me well, tell I got you. some good news for you, Tim. Guess who's on the focus group this week? Boom! <laughs> I'm coming loaded. Maybe I could moderate a focus group one of these days, Sarah. Because what I was thinking, I was, when I was listening to the person uh, in, in the focus group with Joe talk about how what she really wanted was some movement on healthcare, what I would, if I were the moderator, I would say, oh, oh, you mean the way Donald Trump did when he was president and he capped insulin prices? Because that's a good thing, right? And and I'm sure Miss Cletus would have said, "Oh, oh, yeah, sure thing, yeah, that's a good. That's why. That's why we love her." And then I could have said, "Oh, I'm sorry. That's what Joe Biden did." Uh, you'll never moderate a focus group. Number one, number two, uh, number two. I get this comment all the time. I was looking through the YouTube comments, and people are always like, "Why doesn't Sarah?" Push back on them. Why doesn't she? No, I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying you should. Of course you should. I'm going to respond to all these people who seem to think it is my responsibility to push back on things that people are incorrect about. And the answer is, I am not trying to convince the nine people in my focus group of anything. I'm trying to learn from the nine people in my focus group so I can go convince, you know, 9% of GOP swing voters not to vote for Trump. And so you got to understand what people are. But fighting with each group is not productive. That's that's not the role. I, I agree. I am not suggesting that you should do that. I'm not even suggesting that you should let me do it, except as an inducement to our champagne tier subscribers. Uh, <laughs> for those people, we can conduct a special focus group where I'm the moderator and it'd be amazing. And maybe, maybe instead of that, we come up with a different program. You know, where the same people that go out and recruit the focus group people are recruiting people and they say, hey, we're not recruiting you for a focus group, actually. We're trying to find lean Trump voters and and we and we have a little project that we're trying to do. We're going to tape you and we're going to have someone try to convince you to change your mind. And then we can rotate through our moderators oh, and see who does like the best the job. Oh, like the IQ squared debates. Yeah, like the, a combination. The, at the end of the show, competition. these people then tell us, did we change their mind or not? Yeah. Uh, so I like this. I like this. Uh, actually, they'll tell us, well, this is the problem is that they'll say maybe, yes, you did or no, you didn't, depending on whether they're a stubborn person or an accommodating person. What's what you want to know is then who did they ultimately vote for? And did you cause a backlash effect by getting in their face and making them feel crappy stupid. about themselves yeah. or and stupid? Or uh, did you do what is very, see, because the, the thing is, is that when you do persuasion work, persuasion work is not actually about getting somebody to change their mind. 
It is about getting them, giving them permission to do a thing they already kind of want to do. They already know Donald Trump's a jerk. They don't like him, but their tribal impulses make them want to vote for him, right? They're on the team. It's hard to break from the team. So what are you doing? You're trying to build them a new team. Say, no, no, no. Lots of people like you do this other thing. It's permission. It's not, it's not really like change your mind. So you're not supposed to, to do what <laughs> I would, would do. Okay. See, this is why I think maybe I would not be, maybe it could be a good cop, bad cop thing where I'm the first person to come in to persuade them and I'm the bad cop. And then Tim or you come in after me and say, boy, that jerk. Start hitting people with phone books. No, no. Then you say that jerk right here. That's why yeah. I always voted Republican for me because because I did. But, you know, I've come to realize that uh, I can't let jerks like that force me through negative polarity to. Right. See. See? So I do. We'll workshop it. Good cop, bad cop. We'll figure this out. All right. <laughs> guys, good show. Long show. Sarah, welcome back. Hey, guys, if you are in the D.C. area next week, Friday, February 23rd, or that Saturday, or that Sunday the 25th, come by the principal's first conference. Uh, Sebastian will put the, the link in the, the show notes. I think there might still be a ticket or two left. There also might not be, in which case I'll feel really bad about telling you to come big by. Big turnout. So can't. Big turnout yeah. for the event. Yeah. It must be for our panel, JVM. I will be there for 60 minutes. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, quick in and out <laughs> for me, but everybody else will be there for all the other time. And it uh, it's just, it's good people. It's good people. It's, uh, it's fellowship. People are really into fellowship. Fellow, you know, Ash There's going to be a Bulwark-sponsored happy hour. Yes. I can't uh, wait to not be at that. <laughs> and uh, I'll be there. And Sarah will be there. That's all you need. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.